Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we bring you this podcast to share our adventures with you and talk about random other thoughts on birding topics. Just a couple of disclaimers, we're not experts. And if we discuss any controversial material, we hope you keep an open mind, but also remember what we discuss, it's our own opinions. First off, I'd like to thank those of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. We had a couple new ratings on Apple Podcasts and also Stitcher and on our Facebook. So thank you so much. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> People actually like us, yes. sort of, or fake well, it. They're pretending to our faces, I guess. Yeah, that's nice of them still. Yeah. Um, by doing so, you're helping us grow and top the charts of the natural history category. Yay! Yes. Not a whole lot of competition. <laughs> Uh, we did want to respond to a review from Linda on Apple Podcasts who asked which app we use for recording field sounds. Yeah, so while we're out in the field, um, I typically use uh, my Android phone. I have a Samsung uh, Galaxy S7, and I use an app called uh, RecForge 2. And it's uh, It was a free app I could download. It records in .wav format, so it's really easy for me to email to myself and then download onto the computer to uh, do a little bit of edits to be able to add it to the podcast here or to put it on our eBird checklists. And we did use the uh, voice memos on my iPhone a couple times, yeah. which make really good recordings. And you can post that on iNaturalist or eBird, but it doesn't really convert to the form of file. Am I saying that right? That we use to make the podcast. So we haven't used that, but it's still a good um way to record yeah. sounds. Yeah, it records high quality sound on the iPhone, but it records it in a format that's um, Apple specific. Of so course. <laughs> so you, you can't you can't really move it from place to place. You can't edit edit any of the sounds. You can't uh, cut out any of the background noise very easily without downloading some uh, Apple software to do that. So Yeah, so it depends on what you're using it for. Yeah, if you already have Apple software then that's it probably would work great, yeah. Yeah. But we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have iTunes. We have, we have iTunes, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so in this week's episode, we will be talking about our recent trip to South Florida and about field guides. Yeah. So um, I guess, do we have any birding news this week, Hannah? Um, as usual, a couple things. There have been a, a few rarities uh, that are sticking around, and those include the little egrets in the Northeast that have been around for quite a while. Um, one seems to be taking a vacation as it's traveled from Connecticut to uh, Rhode Island. So, hmm. cool. Um, and those are Code 4s from the ABA, which we did talk about in yeah. one of our early podcasts. So, if you are not sure what that means, go ahead and listen to all our podcasts if you'd like <laughs> to learn more about it. Or um, check out the American Birding Association. They have a great little blog about it. Um, a thick-billed vireo had been seen in Florida, and that's a code four, and we'll talk about that one a little bit later. Um, there's been a red-footed booby that was seen on a pelagic trip in California. That's also a code four. And Alaska's had a lot of activity recently. There's a taiga and willow flycatcher. Both are code fours. And then British Columbia has had a little stint, which is a code four, and then snowy plover and white-winged dove, which, you know, are common in other places throughout the U.S. So not super rare, but just in a weird location. Yeah, it sounds like we're getting uh, into migration, getting some crazy things popping up. Yeah. Uh, so this weekend, getting into our trip, was full of a weird series of miracles, I feel. Miracles? I guess you can call them those. <laughs> I'm being optimistic. Yeah. 
Um, Look at positive spin. <laughs> it was Labor Day weekend, and there was a pelagic schedule scheduled for Sunday in Miami, and it's about an eight-hour drive down there from uh, Tallahassee. So we left Friday after work, and not only are we bird nerds, but we're also Disney fans too. So we stayed in Orlando for the night, and went to the Food and Wine Fest at Epcot, which yeah, was opening great. weekend. Yeah, it was really good too, and we went on Spaceship Earth. Only ride we could get on, but... Yeah, everything was just busy as heck. Yeah, but we ate a lot of really good international food. Yeah. Yeah, it was cr- some some pretty good food. Um, but, so any, any of you guys that aren't familiar with uh, Pelagics, haven't been, haven't experienced a Pelagic trip before, it's basically a boat ride to go look for seabirds. It's mostly birds that don't typically come to shore, or if they come to shore, it's not really here in America. It'd be somewhere way up north or way down south where they're nesting. Um, these, they're birds like albatross, uh, petrels, storm petrels, shearwaters, and tropic birds. Um, the boats, they typically, they'll go out about, about 20 miles out or so, be to the edge of the continental shelf, or, um, like down here, it's out in the Gulf Stream to, to go find these birds. Yeah. And, you know, it's just crazy for me to think in the grand scheme of life, how we can be drifting on an ocean and just happen upon a bird. I think that's just incredible. That's a little miracle for me. (laughs) Keeping with that theme. I I think it's crazy because it's like you said, we're just out in the middle of nowhere. Basically, you can't see land. You can't see anything. You can't see what's underwater unless you have fancy sonar, which the boat does. But I I mean, if you're looking at it, if you're a complete layman, you're just out there in water. Yeah. And all of a sudden, birds just kind of fly by. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Just that those two little things, the happenstance happens. Yeah, these little birds with an 8-inch wingspan <laughs> or a 10-inch wingspan just go flying by. It's crazy. Or in an albatross, like yeah. a 10-foot wingspan. Yeah, big, big, massive albatross, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I guess with, with uh, knowing the currents, uh, prior experience from the captains and the guides, they've, they've got it nailed down. They know where we're going every time, so they, they get us there. And we just get on the boat and go. Yeah. So Saturday we woke up and headed down towards Miami, which is actually a pretty long drive um, on an empty highway with very few exits. So please make sure if you ever do the drive from Orlando to Miami that you got plenty of gas and some cash because it's like a $16.50 toll to get down there. So prepare. Yeah, I I was really surprised. We were looking at the card thinking, oh, well, it'd be like eight bucks, nine dollars, ten dollars, whatever it was. And then we get there and it's $16.50. Oh my gosh. That was insane. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, so besides uh, pelagic species that we were targeting for the weekend, we had a few others um, in South Florida. Um, the Zenida dove that's... Uh, that we've talked about multiple times. we've talked times. about multiple times. Was it, it's a code four, right? Uh, maybe. I sure. think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the, the Zenida dove down there, uh, black-whiskered vireo, smooth-billed awning, and Antillian nighthawk. So we got down to Miami and headed straight for the Zenaida Dove. Um, it had been seen a few days before in the West Kendall Agricultural Area. So I love I love eBird and I love all the data that's in there, but I was got kind of frustrated with the data that was put in there for the Zenaida Dove. Um, we honestly didn't look that closely at a lot of the comments, mostly just where the um, the bird po- had been where, seen, where the bird had been seen, the hot yeah. spot that the bird had been seen at. Um, so we pushed the, put the directions um, from the link on eBird to the West Kendall Agricultural Area, which brings us to the GPS coordinates for it, which that's not unusual. But um, it's out in the middle of a field, and since we were in the Adventure Mini, 
we definitely didn't want to go driving <laughs> through the middle of a field uh, to try to find the bird and get stuck or something. Yeah. So we kept driving around because, like he said, it took us to the coordinates, which was in the middle of the field. So we were trying to figure out where to get the best vantage point to see it and just trying to figure out the best way to access it. So after like an hour of trying and driving around. Those those blocks were huge. Yeah. <laughs> they And they, the streets like didn't connect. Yeah. It was a lot of missed attempts and tries. It was frustrating. Um, we reread all of the comments about where it had been seen and finally found out that what we should have been doing was driving to the end of this unfinished road and look at some ponds, which aren't really ponds, um, at the end of it. Yeah, it's the, the area. It was an um, agricultural spot at the fringe of a neighborhood. So there was a neighborhood that butted right up against this area, and then I guess it looked like it was going to be a. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a development, and yeah. then it fell through. Yeah, and so that that's that's kind of where the dove had been being seen at. Yeah, in those random little ponds that had formed from rainwater. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there. That, like you said, that road had been built, uh, the land had been cleared, and they never grew for whatever reason. Or, I'm sorry, never developed for whatever reason. So there was a lot of vegetation, and then just that standing water. And um, it actually did make for some good bird habitat. Oh yeah, it was, it was pretty good, a pretty good little spot. But I was I was a little frustrated with the extra waste of time and gas. I mean, honestly, it kind of was our fault for not looking too closely at the comments and scrolling through them. But I also kind of feel that the, the um, hotspot was being used as an anchor point for the sighting. I agree, because where the coordinate took you was like, it was like a quarter of a mile oh, away was, from where the dove was being oh, seen. Oh, it was more than that. It was it was, almo- it was almost a full mile. You think? Oh, yeah. For, it was almost a full mile as the crow flies from where the dove was being seen. But the kind of ironic thing is once we looked at more of the data... There were a bunch of personal locations, but those weren't the majority of them. The majority of them were posted to the hotspot, but the personal location was right on where we should have been <laughs> that everyone was posting them. So maybe if we would have done a little bit more research, but it was still, I still feel like an anchor point was being used and yeah, getting overused. Yeah, which is kind of a hot topic right now with eBird. After being a little frustrated with that, <laughs> we, we wandered around a little bit and saw some shorebirds, stilts, plovers, killdeer, and a few doves. But we didn't see the Zenaida dove anywhere. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, well. A lot of waste of time. But, you know. That's all right. Blackneck still, it was first blackneck still for us in that county. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> you know, that's why you chase birds. Sometimes oh, yeah. you get them, sometimes you don't. Yeah. You never, you don't win all of them. And just, um, I don't know if anyone heard what's going on in our environment right now. <laughs> um, but there's a thunderstorm outside and then our neighbors upstairs may have some, I don't know, like I Great Danes or something. A herd of elephants or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure what's going on up there. So it's, it's loud. Eric cuts a lot of that sound out, but we apologize if it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, if, it's, if I can't get it all, we tried. Um, but anyways, uh, we from from the um, from the Kendall Agricultural Area, we moved on to our next stop, uh, the Robert is here um, fruit stand. It's it's a pretty pretty nice little fruit stand. It's basically a fruit stand gone wild <laughs> um, at the right right real close to the Everglades National Park. They have fantastic milkshakes and a huge variety, and they're pretty inexpensive. So we've, we've been there before, and we knew we were going to be biased, so we had to go there again. Yeah, and it's 
It's just an interesting place to check out because, like Eric said, it's a fruit stand gone wild. The owner has like a book about him or that he wrote, yeah, um, that's for sale, and he like wandered around. I think the first time we were there, but it's it's just an interesting place you have to stop by. They don't really have food though, so don't like necessarily. They had a couple sandwiches. Yeah, I it was, think. they had like two options for food, but it was not. Not that's a lot. not like a place to have lunch. Yeah. So a snacks or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also <laughs> the first time we went there, I noticed these they had these ginormous avocados. So I was like, okay, gonna get one of these avocados. Uh, because as a millennial, I love avocados, even though I haven't gotten to the avocado toast thing yet. Um, so we got one. It was like $3, which I think is a deal because it could feed a family. And we've been eating on it for like like a week and a half. It's literally still in the fridge right now. <laughs> yes. and and that, I, that was like five days ago. And I took some for lunch on a salad day. <laughs> and there's still like half of it left. Oh, my gosh. And it's really good, too. <laughs> it's it's huge. That, that thing, it was like three pounds. Yeah. Well, in the pit, like I expected the pit to be like most of it. But it was like just a little bit smaller than a baseball. So it wasn't even, it didn't even take up like. Proportionally. Yeah, a huge percent of it. Yeah. So yeah, besides that, it's just a great road trip uh, side stop. And there's also a couple Purple Martin houses that are right outside of it that claim to be the southernmost Purple Martin houses in the U.S. So definitely have to go get that for your um, county list. Yeah, there weren't weren't any Purple Martins this time. It was full of house sparrows. But last, the first time we went through, there was tons of Purple Martins. Yeah, um, in March. In March, yeah. Yeah, so um, after Robert is here, we we got back on the road and entirely forgot about our next plan stop. <laughs> I was just so excited about that avocado. <laughs> yeah, we, we just got on the road, got about halfway to what was going to be our third stop and realized, oh, son of a, we missed the, <laughs> we forgot all about the Smooth Bildani. So we, we just continued on. We headed down to Key Largo and uh, John Pennycamp. Uh, Pennycamp. Pennycamp? Yep, Pennycamp. John Pennycamp Coral Reef State Park. For a little snorkeling and a chance to look at look for the Vireo, the black whiskered Vireo, and the um, Antillian Nighthawk. This is a spot in the Great Florida Birding and Wildlife Trail that's been known for hosting some pretty good specialties like mangrove cuckoo, uh, black whiskered Vireo, of course, white crowned pigeons, Bahama mockingbird, and thick billed Vireo. Yeah, and I think actually all the stops that we mentioned, except for the agricultural area, are Great Florida Birding and Wildlife Trail sites. Yeah, we'd kind of follow that trail around pretty consistently. It's got some great information yeah. on it. Yeah, when, we didn't bird too hard when we got there, though, unfortunately, because it was hot and we kind of wanted to snorkel and swim around a little bit. Yeah, because you gotta go to a state park, Coral Reef State Park, you want to see what the state park is protecting. Yeah, I guess so. You, you got to see what you just see a bunch of water on the surface. Oh yeah, it's, it's over there. <laughs> and I love state parks. <laughs> in Florida, the state park's name just get me. They have so many words in them. Oh, no, seriously. John, John Pennekamp Coral Reef State Park. It's like five words. Well, another one we went to has like six or seven words in it. Oh, my God. But I can't talk. I worked at Sheldon Lake State Park Environmental Learning Center. Yeah. And that's... Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park. That's a lot of words. Yeah, lots of words. Um, aside, uh, <laughs> but, but the park that we went to, the Pennekamp Coral Reef State Park, is just beautiful. It's all mangrove lagoons with a few trails. Um, had some like little boardwalks that looked into the mangroves. And it's like a perfect place to just lay on the beach and go for a swim, have a picnic. There's also um, a part of it has a boat launch with kayak and scuba concessionaires for all of your recreational needs. <laughs> I said ridiculous. You sound ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, not being sponsored by them. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but the water was perfect. There, were, there wasn't that many people there, which I was kind of surprised about being Labor Day weekend. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was just going to be slammed. Hot afternoon. Hot afternoon. Yeah, there was parking lot was not even half full. But it was, it was good. The water, the water was nice. Uh, and we saw some fish. And some jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. It was it was really really nice nice water. It was mostly clear, yeah. except for when we stirred it up. Yeah, but make sure to bring like water socks or something because yeah, we walked down to the oh, snuggle man. area. Oh my gosh, it's like our... razor blades on your feet. <laughs> I know, but it's rocks. It's... Oh yeah, our feet are delicate. Apparently, we need to get some of those like barefoot shoes or something. Too many years wearing work boots, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, like you said, the park is just gorgeous. So once we had enough of exploring the park and snorkeling, we um, were kicking ourselves for not seeing that smooth Bildani that we had forgotten about. So we went back and looked for it. Yeah, it had been recently recorded um, at the Frog Pond area or the Lucky Hammock Wildlife Management area, which is also on the Great Florida Birding and Wildlife Trail. Yay! Yeah, it's it's kind of an odd spot. Yeah, it's just outside of the Everglades National Park. Um, and what we've seen of it, it's like an abandoned roadway that's maybe like a mile long and it has like an abandoned fence property on the side. Like it, it was supposed to be a development or something like that. Yeah. And it never happened. And then there's fields on the other side and about quarter of a mile, maybe half a mile down. There's yeah, like, like that. yeah, there's like a small little hammock that's like maybe a quarter of an acre. It's like, it's pretty small. Yeah. And if, if you're not familiar with like. When we're referring to, like, a hammock, it's like a little stand of trees. It's a southern word. Yeah. I, I didn't have any idea what that meant until we saw one. It's like we moved to Texas and we learned all about moths, too. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's different different got... terminology for the same things. Colloquial. Colloquial, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's a great addition for anyone that wants to visit the Everglades National Park. It's right outside of it. It's a nice walk to get to the hammock. Like I said, it's about a half mile from the the parking lot um you can also bring a bike and ride around but you really wouldn't have too far to go if you had your bike it's maybe like like i said like maybe a mile out and back yeah um and add that to the everglades well with everglades you can get like over 100 miles of biking out there you could you could ride for days um so i have no complaints about the ebert hotspot here (laughs) (laughs) um there there were some great comments um from the previous person who had seen the ani um, of exactly where to look, the hotspots right on where, where we're looking to go. Um, and the person that said they saw it about 200 yards from their car in the bushes. So that was about halfway down to the hammock is about what we're looking at 200 yards. So we started walking. Very specific. E-bird. Yeah. Comment. <laughs> um, so we walked down the main road towards the hammock, carefully watching and waiting. And nothing. Well, nothing at first. We walked all the way to the thick of the trees, and we started to get discouraged. It was just nothing. There was there was a couple mockingbirds flew by, a couple loggerhead shrikes. Nothing, nothing super exciting. I think there was some handful of vultures flying up high. So we decided once we got down to the hammock to pull out our phones and kind of refamiliarize ourselves with a call of the smooth build honey from our iBird Pro app. 
Yeah, and I just wanted to say something about birding ethics. Um, that have having spent a lot of time working for the state in Texas, uh, we both developed strong feelings about and agree on the use of playbacks as an attractant purely for recreational birding. In Texas, within any state park, it's illegal to use playbacks as it can uh, cause undue stress on the birds. Yeah, who who knows how many times someone's played alarm calls for that bird and it's come come out day in and day out to search for a person. There's not a competitor there. There's nothing. It's just a waste of time. It's just a waste of time and waste of energy for them to come out and try to defend territory when there's nothing to be defending it against. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's the main reason that uh, that Texas has that uh, has that rule just because it's harassment. Animal harassment. It's animal harassment essentially. Because they're, they're going to waste all their time and resources, especially like in the main time that they're going to reply to it is during breeding season. And they're they're hard-pressed. They've got chicks to feed. They've got territory to defend. All, all the things that they need to do as a bird. And we're pulling them away from that constantly. And if people before you, people after you, one person may not be an issue, but person after person after person doing it becomes well, an issue. And as we said in our intro that, you know, we might discuss controversial topics yeah. and this yeah, is, true. these are our opinions on it. So you may have your own definition of harassment, but that's how we feel about playbacks. Exactly. So we appreciate you <laughs> respecting our opinions. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't hate on us. Yeah. Don't hurt us too much in the, in Bro. the comments and reviews. <laughs> So anyways, <laughs> um, once we took a few seconds to remind ourselves of what the Ani sounds like, we began walking back towards the car. Um, like Eric was talking about with the playbacks, we accomplished this by playing the call, but at a volume that's similar to like talking to someone on the phone. Um, we didn't play it aloud to attract the bird to come to us. We just played it quietly to ourselves. Yeah, you, you'd, you'd turn it down to like one of the lowest settings that your phone's at, and you just hold your phone right up to your ear. Yeah. Like, go until you can't hear it, and then go up one quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all of a sudden, we heard it. I had to check Eric's phone to make sure that he hadn't played the call out, um, but it wasn't. It was actually the awning calling. Yeah. Um, my first thought was immediately grab my phone and get myself a real recording of this instead of a playback recording. Just for you all. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was super close. It was loud. I only got a real short little snippet of it, but I think it's pretty recognizable. I was also able to get a, a couple quick photos uh, with the camera, but they're they're pretty out of focus. I'll, they're 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 on the eBird checklist, but they're I, it's I've, like the shape of an ani. That's yeah, the shape of an ani. Yeah, you can tell. You can you can see that it's got it's got the ani bill. Yeah. But uh, I definitely need to um, perfect those skills, photography and audio recording. Yeah, someday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we saw it, we recorded it, and we took a picture. That's all you can ask for, right? Yeah, that's it. That's everything. <laughs> the trifecta. It's all of them. Um, I think we can fully count the species for the day. Despite our misgivings earlier about dipping on yet another bird, we chased across the state. Yeah. So at, at that point, a storm started to blow in. We had some thunder and lightning, and it looked like it was right about to rain. Like, we could see that front coming right at us. So we headed back to the car. On the way back... To the car, though, we did see another Florida lifer, which isn't a very exciting Florida lifer, but it's <laughs> been one that's been on my list for a while now. A white-winged dove. I don't know why it took us so long to find one, <laughs> and it, it wasn't something we've been searching for, but I've been very curious why we haven't seen one. Yeah, but in Texas, they're all over the place. Seriously, but white-winged dove. Finally have that on the life list for, Check. for Florida. I don't know if they're uncommon, but... <laughs> 
I've, I've got it now. They just hate us. Um, so the storm chases back to the hotel, and we went to sleep early in anticipation of the plagic the next day. So Sunday morning, I wake up to my alarm at 4 o'clock in the morning because we have to get to the dock at 6 o'clock in the morning and open up Facebook. And one of the first posts I saw is the cancellation of the pelagic on the Florida Birding and Rarities page. Unfortunately, due to the storms, the sea would be too rough for the little pelagic boat. Uh, There had been a small craft advisory issued. Well, we hadn't really anticipated this. The st- there was a, there was a big storm blowing in that wasn't supposed to hit until like that that evening, but I guess they issued the the advisory early. I didn't even think that that would happen. Yeah, I don't. It, yeah. So, anyways, we hastily came up with Plan B, <laughs> and uh, we drove right back down to Key Largo, uh, where we'd been the day before, um, to search some other hot spots down there for. The Black Whiskered Vireo again, and hoping that we could get out there early enough to catch an Antillian Nighthawk. Yeah, so we um, got up quickly and drove down that way, and we ended up at Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park. I gotta count that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wait. <laughs> eight. Yeah, eight words. That's eight long. words. Yeah, that's a, that's a long state park name. I like it. Yeah. Oh, right around sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when did we get there, Hannah? I got distracted. <laughs> uh, it is about 2,500-acre park that was once slated to become a condo development and has one of the largest tracts of West Indian tropical hardwood hammock. Yeah, so on our way out to this um, eight-word state park, <laughs> um, we saw tons of common nighthawks on the highway. I don't know, probably 30 or 40. Oh, yeah, a lot. At least, on, on the on route. It was right as the sun was rising. Yeah, but we got about maybe five minutes before we got there, and that was the last time we saw a nighthawk. <laughs> yeah, they stopped. They stopped entirely. Yeah, but anyways, no nighthawks. <laughs> but we once we got there, there's it uh, looks like there's about six miles of trails at this uh, abandoned-looking, apocalyptic-feeling park. Um, we started down one of the trails. Um, there was a handful of common things, uh, black and white warblers, blue-gray gnatcatchers, white-eyed vireos, and kind of what I thought was kind of ridiculous numbers of uh, white-crowned doves flying overhead. White-crowned pigeons. Oh, shoot. Yeah, white-crowned pigeons, not white-crowned doves. Yeah, I wish we would have seen a white-crowned dove. I know. That would have been pretty cool. Well, well, I'll go, I can't go back and fix it because it's too far, but white crowned pigeons is what we were seeing and what we were looking for, not white crowned doves. Again, the rainstorm made us turn around and head back. But the rain stopped as soon as we reached the picnic area that's about a quarter of a mile into the park. There were a lot of birds hopping around the trees there. Um, we were able to spot a prairie warbler, and then in the background, there was a black whiskered vireo. We chased it down the trail for a few minutes before it flitted back into the hammock and was no longer seen. Yeah, never seen again. Never. <laughs> and I got a picture of it. Yay! <laughs> but I'm not even going to post it because it's more of like like kind of a thicker blur among some blurry branches with some blurry leaves in front of it. You can get much better at this photography. Yeah, it's, it's intense. I, th- I don't even know if I can tell that it was actually a blur. It might have just been like, I might have had the lens cover on. I don't know. I don't know. It was It was a terrible, terrible photo. <laughs> There was like five photos in a row and they looked like that. It was awful. Uh, Yeah. So the rainstorm was actually kind of a common theme throughout the rest of the day. After it chased us north a ways, we we kept trying to stop and bird at these different locations. We stopped and tried to get that thick-billed vireo that was at that one park in that place. In that one place? Yeah. Then we got out to the (laughs) beach and it just 
downpour. Oh, yeah. It just, the sky just opened up. I don't remember what park that was. Um, the one with the lighthouse? Yeah. No, I can't remember which yeah. one. Yeah. Well, anyways, it was where the thick build very had been seen. It had been tagged like the day before when yeah. we went there. But we got it. The sky literally just completely opened up, and we were only like a hundred feet from the car. Yeah. And we Luckily, like ran I ran for the car. I, le- I left the camera in the car because I was kind of concerned <laughs> that it might rain, and I'm so glad that I left the camera in there because we were soaked from head to toe in like ten seconds. See another miracle. Um, but yeah, it kept chasing us north and we decided to just head like really far in front of it. And we went to go look for the long-tailed Jaeger that had been seen in Port St. Lucie. Or just St. Lucie. St. Lucie? Yeah, county. St. Lucie County, yeah. We went to a few of the beach access points um, and there were bait balls of little bait fish at every single access point. There was tons and tons of turns and and a handful of gulls that were kind of mingling among the turns. It was a crazy feeding frenzy. There was tarpon all over in the water. They were Monster. huge, Monster and they were tarpon. only like a few feet from the bay or the shore. From the shore, yeah, Gosh. yeah. So we ended up spending, I think it was over two hours, maybe, just there looking at seabirds, <laughs> just over one after and over, another, and taking photos of. Laughing goal after laughing goal after laughing goal. <laughs> it's got to be something different. It's got to be something more exciting. I'm looking at photos and not seeing anything different. Ugh. It was tons of, tons of turns, tons of goals, but no Jaeger. So all in all, we were pretty bummed that we had missed the pelagic, but we did see some pretty good birds and a couple new interesting birding spots. And as we said before, this weekend was full of miracles. It, by missing the pelagic, we saw the vireo. We missed the spot for the smooth bildani and went back and got it and a white-winged dove. So, yeah, kind of evened out. I guess you could call it a miracle. I, I mean, know. we like... It's a little miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how big do you want? I don't know. But like... Earth-shattering. <laughs> I mean, like, we... So far, I feel like with chasing birds, we're like, we're like at 50%. Of the ones we go out for, we actually get. I guess 50% is all right. Yeah. I mean, that's better than... It's better than 0%. Well, that's pretty good batting <laughs> average, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so while we were out looking for this this whole weekend, pretty much any time <laughs> we're out looking for rarities and lifers. Driving um, around in the rain. Yeah. We're, we need a field guide. Whether we use it only in the car or bring it out in the field or we just refer back to it when we're sitting at home. We rely on field guides constantly. To ensure that we're making the correct identifications. Yes, and we had discussed this in the car, and we decided to pose a question on our Facebook page, as well as share it to the World Girl Birders page that I keep talking about, about field guides. Um, as we were talking, driving around, we talked about our field guide preference, um, and then we also talked about the preference between paper versus digital, and authors and styles, and we wanted to know how others felt. Yeah, we had a really good turnout from that poll, and I'd really like to thank everybody who responded and everybody who commented, because it was it made us think of more things while we were reading through the comments of stuff that, oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it was a good team effort, <laughs> I thought. Um, so the initial question that I posed was, what do you prefer, printed or electronic field guide? And then I com- had an additional comment with your favorite guide. We received a lot of answers that said both. <laughs> And so I tried to clarify that by saying if you're unable to choose a preference, then please select the one you use the most, whether it's printed or electronic. And I'd like to apologize for the confusion on this whole thing because there were some people that were confused on what I was asking. 
I realize a lot of people use both electronic and printed, but either I'm not as Facebook savvy as I thought, or Facebook does actually limit it, but it only allowed me to make, to have two answers on the poll. So yeah. you could either put printed, or I could only put two. I couldn't put three options. I could only put two options. So I'm sorry about that. And we chose that the options were printed or electronic. And, but even though we realize you may use both. However, we also wanted to force you um, to select one or the other. Because when it comes down to it, you do have a preference. Like, what do you go towards first? If you had both sitting in front of you right now and you needed to identify a bird. What do you go to? You're only going to be able to pick up one at a time. Yeah. Which, which is the first one you pick up? Um, like, if someone comes into my office to ask about a bird, I have books and I have apps available. And I pull out the book so I can show them more easily. And also, it's easier for me to flip through. I feel like I, I know the book better because that's what I started with was a book rather yeah. than an app. Yeah. And initially, when we were discussing this, before we even posted, posted it or anything, we were just talking about kind of the visual aspects like, that was kind of what I was thinking. I don't know if, if you were really thinking just visual, but I, I was really thinking visual that with the written guide, the, the printed guides, usually if you only have one guide, usually only have a handful of pictures, two or three pictures. But if you have the digital guide, you'll have, you can oftentimes have a ton of, diff, a ton of media to choose from, to look at pictures, illustrations, all sorts of different, uh, different things. But then um, I think it was Jamie on our on our Facebook page commented about audio and that I mean, <laughs> something we hadn't even thought I, of. I don't even know why I didn't think audio. Like that's of course, that's definitely a reason to be on a digital. We use that constantly and we also talked about that yeah, earlier. How exactly. We use that. Um so our poll had about 161 votes, which was actually a huge turnout. I yeah. did not think we would get that many people. So that's more again, people than listen to the podcast. Right? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> more than our Facebook friends. Um so <laughs> Again, we really appreciate you all commenting and and uh, taking the poll. The results were much different than I had anticipated. I thought more people were going to go with apps rather than the field guide, but it actually turned out to be about 70% preferred to use a printed field guide and only 30% preferred to use an electronic field guide. Yeah, that was kind of surprising, especially reading the comments. I, the comments really leaned towards digital, but maybe the printed people just didn't uh, comment. <laughs> or like they said both and they're like, well, I really can't go without the book. Yeah. If you can only have one. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe. battery's going dead or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but per like personally though, if I'm, if I'm at home or I'm in the car trying to look something up, I generally use a paper field guide. I'll pull, pull out my, uh, my big monster Sibley or our National Geographic or Peterson or one of the we other, actually have a lot of field guides. A ridiculous number. And I, I collect... We have like four boxes of them. I collect old field guides. So anytime I go to like, an, a, book, like a used bookstore, I go find the oldest one and then make Eric buy it for me. Well, our oldest one's like from like the 30s, right? Actually, yeah. My um, great-grandma's that I found yesterday when yeah. we were going through them. It was from 1923. 23. 1923 for a field guide. She got it in 1938 too. <laughs> That's crazy. That's an old field guide. Yeah, it's super old. And it's probably got all sorts of... I haven't, I haven't looked that, through it that carefully. I'm not sure it's got all sorts of weird, inappropriate names for birds. <laughs> like Old Squaw and stuff like that. Yeah. Great tits. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, generally I use a paper guide unless I'm actually out in the field. And just for ease of just that it's light and I don't have to carry a book, I usually use a digital guide when I'm actually out in the field. And, and even one more, if I have cell phone service... 
I usually use the internet. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to um, Cornell's All About Birds, or just go to Google if my if my iBird Pro doesn't have enough pictures or enough examples. I'll just go right to the internet and see if I can find some more examples, or I'll go to um, eBird and go through the Macaulay Library and start looking at pictures there. But mostly, I use uh, digital out, out in the field just because of that, and also the audio component. Being able to like yeah, with the smooth build on you, it's it's massively useful. I mean, you you can see that the guide will say tweet, 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 but <laughs> like, it's like, all right, well. You can't figure that out on your head? I don't know. I have, I have a hard time with that, I guess. Wow. You have a hard time with maps. I have a hard time reading <laughs> phonetics. Rude. You're so good at doing that. Though. You're a liar. Uh, so, yeah. but looking, I'm a liar. You're a liar. So, looking through the comments that everyone was so graciously um, wrote on there, we had about five people that preferred to use the Sibley app. One vote for the Audubon app, one for the Collins for Europe app. And as for books, um, the Sibley book was the clear winner with three votes. The Collins book, the European Collins book, had two votes and one vote for the Stokes Guides. Yeah, Sibley. (laughs) (laughs) I was bummed that no one chose my favorite field guide and app, the National Geographic Guide and iBird Pro. These are my favorites because I like the illustration, the book isn't huge, and the book and the app are both really good quality. We've had the book sitting in my car that we use in the Adventure Mini. We use it <laughs> a ton, and it, like, holds up. For a few years now. Yeah, and it, it's, like, small, so I can put it in a bag. Um, but I really like that one, and I was surprised that Peterson's wasn't mentioned either. That's a pretty good app, too. Yeah. Or, um, I'm sorry, booked. And Crosley wasn't mentioned. Yeah, Crosley wasn't mentioned. A lot of people like Crosley. Yeah. I don't know. I don't We don't have a Crosley. No, we need... If somebody wants to send us one, we take it. (laughs) Yeah, so one frustration that I do find between books and field guides, like, and written field guides, is when you're scrolling through the field guide, or scrolling through the digital field guide, at least with iBird Pro, you can't... It's hard to find things within the same taxonomic family. Because you'll, like, type in sandpiper, yeah. but that doesn't get certain shorebirds. Yeah, Dunlin and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that aren't that, sand, that don't have sandpiper in the name. Exactly. You have yellow legs, don't come up when you type in sandpipers, th- things Even like that. Even though they're closely related. Yeah. And so you have to go back to the beginning and scroll and all the way through. And just scroll all the way through the whole thing. Which if it's like a warbler or a sparrow, oh that's going to take takes, forever. takes all day. But in, in the book, you, you know, you if, if you're familiar, right you flip right to it, and then you just kind of flip page back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you end up comparing and stuff like that pretty i feel like a little a little easier in the paper guide but on that like when it's warbler or it's getting into the fall warbler migration Mm -hmm. if we see a warbler that i'm not like super familiar with i'll just type in warbler and it'll pop up um with all of the obviously it doesn't come up with common yellowthroat and things like that that don't have warbler in the name but i can just scroll through and see the faces of all of them yeah and that, so that's, that's that's the the iphone version yeah it has that oh, um, yours doesn't no the android version doesn't have the faces it has it has a whole a little tiny picture of the entire body oh that's annoying in the little thumbnail yeah oh, okay it's a little different <laughs> i'm sorry that's okay <laughs> um but my biggest fr- frustration with um some birders is that they shame others for using a field guide i've been shamed before for I've taking been shamed a field a handful guide of times too um, so usually when we go out, we see a lot of birds and of course, many of them I know, but there, there's gotta be, there's ones that I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. And when I see a bird, I don't know. I want to answer right now. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't want to go back and look in the car and see what it was. I don't have time for that. Seriously. Ain't um, nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time. 
Because you can't know every bird every time. Seriously. We have enough humility to know that we don't know everything. We are perfectly willing to say, I do not know. I think we say it in the intro that we don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> say it all. I say it all day long. Somebody's like, hey, where's the bathroom? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and then there, there's also the birders that prefer to take notes or drawings um, of the birds that they're unfamiliar with and look it up when they get back to their house or back to their car. And I think I think that's nice, but I... I wouldn't be able to jot down everything. I don't know what... I mean, I know some field marks. Okay, well, an eyebrow is going to be distinctive. Maybe wing bars are going to be distinctive. Think Color of the legs, color of the iris, eye ring. There's certain things, but on a dif- on di- difficult identification, like, you, you never know what's going to be that one thing oh, I that know. puts it over the edge yeah. to be able to get the get the real identification on it. These two birds are exactly the same except for this one thing that I yeah. forgot to look it's, at. It's the, the, un, the underwing coverts on, on the right wing are different. And <laughs> that's the one thing that you didn't look at and you the didn't jot primary. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, but all in all, it seems like a lot of people agree that they use both the printed versions and the apps and everybody has their own preference for which one they use. Um, but people often like to have one in the car, like the book in the car and then their app in the field, which is about the way we do it. Sometimes when we're traveling abroad, of course, we'll have the book with us because they don't have an app in that country (laughs) or we just, it's easier for us to look in the book for quick identifications. But there's no wrong way to do it, and there's no wrong field guide to use, so don't let anybody shame you. Exactly. It's you can all, use a field guide. It's okay. It's all about preference. You you do you. Yeah. So, anyways, that's all we have. Um, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram, on our Facebook page at Hannah and Eric Go Birding, or email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. Um, again, we'd like to thank everybody for participating in the poll, for listening to us, for rating, review, and subscribing. You guys rock. We really... You guys are fantastic. (laughs) We appreciate it. We're so glad that um, there's people that actually listen to our ramblings. There's a couple of them out there. Yeah, just a couple. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys are awesome. So please um, go on there and tell us what you hated and tell us what you liked. Share with your friends and help us build a following like always. And until next time, you know, get out there and go birding. Yeah, get out there. Bye. Bye.